being able to donate with a method that is as easy as sending a credit card transaction, but you get all of those benefits of stock gifts. And right now there's 100 million people where their easiest way to donate is cryptocurrency. Their most tax incentivized way to donate is cryptocurrency. And now there's platforms like us that make it really easy to pull them in and the integrations on their platforms that make it easy, like Alex said, like a DAF. So the short answer is there's now 100 million people who pretty much won't donate to you as one of their options. They're starting with a payment method first. They're picking a charity second. And that payment method is Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Welcome, Creating Community for Good podcast listeners. This is Lindsay Simons, your host, and I am thrilled that you're here. Today's episode is important. We are talking about cryptocurrency. So it's important because it's a burgeoning field and I can see the writing is on the wall and I didn't even know it. Now that my eyes are open, I think your eyes should be too. If you're already way ahead of me, please DM me. Although Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have been around for a while, it's only recently that the nonprofit space has started to acknowledge it as a new revenue stream. At the beginning of 2021, the cryptocurrency market hit an all-time high, exceeding $1 trillion for the first time, according to the World Economic Forum. And there are over 100 million people holding cryptocurrency. I mean, that's pretty incredible. So what does that mean for the philanthropic space? Well, philanthropy has a special moment of breaking through into new revenue streams because of this. One of the most compelling elements about cryptocurrency, in my opinion, is that you're able to donate it tax-free. It's similar to stock donation. So what this means is that the donor doesn't have to liquidate the asset before donating it. Instead, you can simply donate the crypto directly to the nonprofit and neither has to pay taxes. That means that the donation is larger to the nonprofit and the tax benefit is greater to the donor. This is groundbreaking because this is a way to attract new donors that have never even heard of your nonprofit simply because of the ease of transaction using their Bitcoin exchange or cryptocurrency exchange. So it's something to take note of. Also, that this is where the Gen Zs are, the millennials, the Twitter users. This is a place that you want to start paying attention to because money and movement is happening in crypto and the nonprofit space does not want to be left behind during this very important time. So as my friends say, it's sort of like a land grab to get in and to be seen as accepting crypto. So for those folks who are not philanthropic yet. They may be younger. They may be playing in the market. They may be working in you know whatever space they're in, but they're not involved in philanthropy. This is an awesome way for donor acquisition with the young folks. The next step will be figuring out how to retain them. So my guests today are Alex Wilson and Pat Duffy. They're the founders of The Giving Block. That's a business solely focused on accepting cryptocurrency donations. They founded in 2018. They've got a tremendous momentum and they're just interesting people. Alex's background is in management consulting where he worked with Fortune 500 companies to develop strategies around emerging tech like AI, LOI, blockchain, cryptocurrency, et cetera. And then his partner in crime is Pat Duffy, who was a federal consultant in pharmaceutical companies, turned into nonprofit collaboration. And then they both shifted to create this concept of cryptocurrency acceptance and donations for the nonprofit space. So 
pretty complicated at first, but once you listen to this episode, it's not complicated at all. Jump into the episode, learn about cryptocurrency in the space of philanthropy, learn about the giving block and what we have to share. Take action. Let me know what your thoughts are. Shout out to Clubhouse. So this will be my last announcement, then we'll get going. But on Wednesday, the 24th, I hosted my first community chat, coffee chat on Clubhouse. We had over 50 participants. So we are definitely making this a thing. So it's going to be every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time on Clubhouse. Just look for me, Lindsay Simons, and you'll see it there under my events. I also have co-hosts that I want to shout out to. David Lee, Lisa Greer, Jason Lucina, Jess McGill, Saren Bird, Kaisen Bantuang, Isla Malik, Jonathan McCoy, Mike Spear, Rodrigo Alfaro, Becky Endicott, and more. So I'm very excited about this space and I hope you'll join me and keep growing and learning. Let's go. All right. So tell me, how did you guys connect and where did this dream come from of building this business? I mean, I think that it's fascinating to learn about money and philanthropy and stocks, but now cryptocurrency. So tell me everything about the giving block. Sure. I, I guess we'll, we'll just bounce all of these like back and forth between Alex and myself. But we met in college, went to school at Wake Forest. And we both just happened to end up in DC doing different gigs. We were both consulting. And then 2017, Alex got into cryptocurrency at the same time I was working at the Lupus Foundation. Uh, and they just pretty much couldn't figure out how to take crypto. We wanted them to take it. And there were Pineapple Fund was a big one. It was almost $60 million in uh, Bitcoin donated to charities. Fidelity Charitable was raking in a bunch through a DAF. There were different cryptocurrency foundations and companies that were pouring kind of large donations on the small subset of charities that were equipped to take crypto. And it was like one of the most disproportionate moments we saw where like a very small pool of charities were benefiting because they were agile and they could actually set up a system. So we thought it'd be cool if we could, one, set up the Lupus Foundation to take it, but we pretty quickly realized it was something we'd scale out and give to other charities. Built a Wix site and started doing some mini consulting things on the side and the rest is kind of history. So tell me, am I in the dark ages or how big is the industry of crypto and philanthropy? I haven't really dealt with it at all, but it sounds like this is all you think about and do all day. Who is your ideal client and how far behind am I? (laughs) How far ahead are you is the real question. Definitely not mainstream yet. So you're not necessarily behind at all. But people are usually surprised when we tell them there's about 100 million crypto users globally. So pretty big community of users. And that's growing really, really quickly, especially now. Yeah. The amount of users is doubling, you know, about every 18 months, probably even more quickly now with the increase in prices. And as you can imagine, the last six months, we've grown really, really quickly. And now we work with about 150 different nonprofits. Some of the largest ones are, you know, United Way Worldwide, American Cancer, Save the Children, No Kid Hungry, but also smaller, more local nonprofits like Eve's Place in Arizona. It's a really wide range of of different causes that we work with. Cool. And so how do they work with you? So, I mean, there's a couple different ways. So the way we offer our services, it's kind of a combination of the technical offering. So setting them up to be able to actually accept crypto in a really easy way. And then we also have the actual fundraising platform where we help them get found by crypto donors. So when we set them up to accept crypto, they get a donation widget for their website. And then we also set up a profile on our fundraising platform that has you know, information about their mission and also one of those donation widgets. So really two different points of entry. 
But the thing we've noticed is that 70 or 80% of the donation volume is coming through our website versus our client's website. And that's mostly because of the work we're doing in the industry, You know, working with crypto media outlets, working with corporate partners, doing everything we can to make donating crypto more top of mind and easier for the average crypto user. So for example, one integration we just launched, we haven't even publicly announced it yet or marketed yet, but the cryptocurrency exchange Gemini, which is a partner of ours and run by the Winklevoss twins, they just added a button to their exchange. So now when people are trading and you know buying and selling cryptocurrencies, there's a button that says donate crypto. And if users click on right. that, it takes you to our fundraising platform that aggregates all the different causes we work with. And it shows them in a random order each time. So, you know, everyone's got a great shot at, at being at the top there. So things like that are, are what we're working on to drive more volume and donations to our clients. Oh, that's very interesting. So it sounds a little bit like United Way style of employee giving, where employees can opt in to different ways of supporting their favorite nonprofits. Is that a similar concept? Uh, sort of, but not, not quite. I mean, it's more about just driving users to that page and then they choose a cause. I mean, there's no necessarily, you know, the, the people donating on Gemini's platform are necessarily employees. They could just be any user that's signed up on the Gemini. So it would be like having a donate stock button on Fidelity's website. Uh So people trading stocks on Fidelity could donate stock, but in this case, it's crypto. Well, I am new to crypto. I will say that I just joined Coinbase the other day. So finally coming to the 21st century. Happy to be here. And um, I'm thrilled to hear about this. And tell me, like, what do we need to know for those of us listening who are more like me and a little bit in the dark ages, <laughs> not as much doing crypto? What would be your number one pitch for why crypto over uh, stocks or cash? Right now, it's not crypto over stock or cash, which is a bit of a, a misconception, but it's definitely, okay. it's past the point where for the majority of nonprofits, it didn't make sense to have crypto. Now it's at a point where for the vast majority of charities, it's you're missing out by not taking it. Just based on the okay. baseline idea here is pretty much people give to you with credit cards, right? Because it's easy. It's pretty much the only reason yeah. they're doing it. That's how people kind of choose what money they use unless there's some kind of overwhelming incentive to get you to take some action that's harder, but more beneficial to you as a donor or potentially for the charity. So stocks have always kind of had that. They have not only the the fact that you get the write-off, but you also get to offset your capital gains taxes. You pay no tax on stock that you donate, neither does the charity. So for like major gifts prospects for any major charity, especially, they'll know they're getting stocks and property assets from their major donors because they can give a million dollars to that charity or they can sell their stocks, give the charity $780,000, whatever else it might be, and they give two hundred twenty grand to the IRS. It's a dramatic incentive. So that's kind of the way stocks have been. The main pitch for crypto is right. imagine being able to donate with a method that is as easy as sending a credit card transaction, but you get all of those benefits of stock gifts. And right now there's 100 million people where their easiest way to donate is cryptocurrency. Their most tax incentivized way to donate is cryptocurrency. And now there's platforms like us that make it really easy to pull them in and the integrations on their platforms that make it easy, like Alex said, like a DAF. So the short answer is there's now 100 million people who pretty much won't donate to you as one of their options. They're starting with a payment method first. They're picking a charity second and that payment method is Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Okay, super interesting. And how much money is there in crypto right now? Do you have a sense for that? Of the 100 million people, how much money does that mean? It's uh, it's $1.5 trillion in cryptocurrency. So it's a lot. 
and we were we're crunching numbers on it. So like if crypto users donated 1% of their crypto portfolios, that would be $15 billion in charitable giving. It'll probably end up being more than that. And the asset class is obviously growing pretty quick. So like all of charitable giving is like $400 billion. So the odds of cryptocurrency not making up 20% or so of charitable giving in pretty short order, I think is incredibly unlikely. Well, and I think that we're at a time where we're talking a lot about the great transfer of wealth and the millennials giving and new ways of modernized giving is showing that individuals are wanting to give to many places as opposed to necessarily just one. And hopefully we're growing major gift donors, but it is going to take time. So our younger people, the younger generation, it takes a decade on average to get them to become major gift donors. It seems like crypto is a very cool entry point for young people. What's your primary user base? What's the age range? So in general, it's really young. So the most users are Gen Z and millennial. So that's another part of the reason a lot of nonprofits are getting so interested in accepting crypto. It's a way for them to tap into these younger donors, start building those relationships early on. And it kind of, like you said, goes along with that wealth transfer, right? The the more wealth that gets transferred down to millennials, the more wealth that's probably also going to be in crypto. And a lot of these millennial donors too have, you know, made quite a bit of money on cryptocurrency. So for them, you know, this is often the only way they're giving. We're finding that a lot of these donors mm-hmm. are brand new donors because they're only donating. First time donors. Yep. Yeah. A lot of these donors are probably coming into wealth without necessarily having a culture of philanthropy in their, in their family. We're seeing that statistically. So do you have, with the partnership with Gemini, which seems like the most compelling to me, I mean, I think it's certainly as a baseline, you want to have your nonprofits have an option to give crypto. But I really love the idea of partnering with, what would you call it, the institutions like Gemini? Crypto exchanges. Okay, thank you. All right, I'm going to write this down. (laughs) I just keep saying, how far in the dark am I? But I feel like I'm pretty far in the dark. But I also have a feeling that I'm not the only one. (laughs) No, I'd be true. Or is it just me? A hundred percent. It's we compare it to soccer sometimes or football, as they call it internationally. But it's one of those things where, like, if you ask an American person about like a soccer team or a famous soccer player, like almost no one in America knows about soccer. But like, there's a ton of people who are paying attention. There's a lot of money. Like, there's a giant economy built around that. Cryptocurrency is like that, and in this case, America would be the nonprofit sector. It's like there's this giant pool of money and they're only really incentivized to give it to charities. For the most part, people are trading it or they're holding it because it's a a hedge against inflation. Like you're not buying a cup of coffee with Bitcoin because you can use dollars and those go down. So why would you use that? But for charities, you're incentivized to give them Bitcoin instead of dollars. So we're like trying to convince charities. It's like, hey, there's this giant pool of money and people are donating it to organizations that are specifically 501c3 for this tax incentive. You should probably get up to speed, but it's it's super common to answer your question. A lot of folks in the charitable space like aren't up to speed like they should be. Whew, okay. I'm just so glad we're doing this podcast. It's helping me and hopefully one or two other people who are listening. Actually, I want to go back to a thought that I was having before I started tripping up over the terminology. And that is that it's so important to me that we're really training and teaching philanthropy and making it easy. So I love that you've got that on Gemini and other partners hopefully will come on board as well. Are you encouraging recurring giving or is there any kind of educational component that is brought in or is it really just like a you know opt-in or click here and that's it? Because of the way crypto works, there isn't an easy way to do recurring giving. 
Okay. Because the user has to approve the transaction each time. We're working on a Every couple time. of ways to add that where it could be like, you know, an email reminder a month from the time they get their, their tax receipt or something like that as a way to do sort of a workaround. But we spend a lot of time mm-hmm. doing education in the sense of educating donors or, or crypto users why they should be donating crypto. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the average crypto user doesn't yet know necessarily that though they should be donating crypto. Basically teaching them about those tax incentives, working with you know financial advisors, accountants, CPAs, all these people who are helping people you know make the right financial decisions. So there's a lot of financial education going into it as well. And then do you all get a cut at the back end or how does it make sense for you as a business in the industry? Is it similar to a credit card? Yeah, it's set up like other fundraising platforms where we have different packages people choose from. And it's a mix of an annual fee and a processing fee, depending on which package they choose. So are your clients, you've listed some big legacy national organizations. What about some of the small ones? I know you you said there was one, I believe you said in Utah. What are the typical, what's your best size? Like where does it make sense? If you're a million dollar nonprofit, your million dollar operating budget, does it make sense? Or is there an economy of sales element here? Yeah. So, I mean, we would argue if you're a, a giant nonprofit and you're not taking crypto, we think that's insane, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better <laughs> way of putting it. Uh, as, and okay. universities do, not only for taking crypto donations, but universities have endowments, obviously. So crypto is the best yep. appreciating asset the last five years and the last 10 years. So if your job at a university is to manage a big pile of money and you're not looking at the assets that perform the best and even considering an allocation, you're probably not doing a great job. But then if you start backing down from from those sorts of like high level big picture groups that can do a little bit of everything, you know, they're they've got nothing but resources to innovate with stuff like this. For the mid-size and the small size groups, that makes up the majority of the charities on our platform. And they do quite well. The the average ROI for small and mid-sized organizations is still fantastic. The big ones outperform them, but it's disproportionately balanced versus traditional fundraising methods. And the reason for that, we say for the most part, is there's a land grab going on in in the charitable sector. Mm. So there are plenty of giant nonprofits who've been taking crypto since 2013. And we've got million-dollar nonprofits on our platform who get more donations than them. Why? They go onto Twitter and they talk about the fact that they take it. They participate in crypto fundraising campaigns. They're out and about on Bitcoin Tuesday, meeting donors and doing stuff. It's a great opportunity and a land grab opportunity, one, to get people as they transition into crypto as their new form of donating, but two, because like Alex said, millennials and Gen Zs are using this as their donation method and form of money. It's literally a chance to get a donor as they form their first time connection with an organization. And if you don't take crypto, you're for the time being off the menu. All right. So there's Bitcoin Tuesday. Is that like Giving Tuesday? Yeah, that's basically Giving Tuesday for the crypto community. We did it for the first time two years ago. You know, the first year we were pretty much a brand new company. We had about 10 nonprofits or so. This year, when we did it in December, we had over 100 different nonprofits, and nice. it was and that- it was awesome to see that growth. And you know, really ends up being like the kickoff of an entire end of year campaign, just like Giving Tuesday okay. is right. So we did a campaign all of December. We rallied together different corporate partners to match donations and help promote it. Had a lot of you know media attention on it to drive more volume. But it's really sort of a, a crypto community effort that we plan on doing every year. And what day is it? Same day as Giving Tuesday every year. So last okay. December, I guess that was December 2nd. Yep. First Tuesday after Thanksgiving, essentially. Yeah. 
Oh, I love that. And I'm glad you mentioned Twitter too, Pat, because it seems like that platform for this population that we're talking about. And I do think that a lot of nonprofits are not activated on Twitter as much as they are still on Facebook. So tell me about how do you see Facebook versus Twitter in terms of the Bitcoin population and community? Are people talking? Is my assumption correct that Twitter and Bitcoin type people are connected versus the Facebook and stock folks? Yeah, I I don't have data on Facebook and stocks in particular, but that's probably a great bet that they would line up more on those two different camps. It's just kind of a a generational divide. The way Twitter syncs up with crypto giving, some of that is just an age demographic thing. There's obviously younger folks are engaging on Twitter more actively. They don't really use Facebook as a platform anymore. But the other thing that's happening is pretty much uh, the reason charities are doing a good job contacting people on Twitter is just because they're good at using Twitter. So it's one of those things where when we talk charities very early on, when you say a smaller charity, like you're mentioning the groups that perform well fundraising crypto. Like one of the big mm-hmm. questions we ask them, it's like, hey, do you consider yourselves good at social media? And if they say yes, then the answer is you're probably going to be really effective at crypto fundraising because you can get in front of people awesome. and message accordingly. If you add a new payment rail, you'll get them too. A lot of what we do ends up being, funny enough, kind of social media consulting and designing fundraising pages, yeah. search optimization. It's They're learning how to fundraise from a younger audience just because they're taking a new payment method. Right. So what's your observation on that younger funding community? So the populations that are most involved with crypto philanthropy, do you have any kind of way of profiling those individuals? And does that go into your messaging around social media marketing? I would say broadly, I mean, it's the same kind of messaging nonprofits would use to attract other younger donors. And in terms of what they look like, I mean, like we were saying earlier, a lot of millennials and Gen Zs, they tend to be pretty tech savvy, right? The crypto users, you know, it's becoming, of course, a little bit more mainstream. So that's changing a little bit. You know, there's more of the everyday person mm-hmm. starting to buy cryptocurrency and trade cryptocurrency. But in general, you know, I think a lot of them work at tech startups. Some of them might even work at crypto companies. As you can imagine, in the US, kind of the hot spots are San Francisco and New York. But most major cities in the country have a pretty active crypto community. So those are the kinds of, you know, demographics we're noticing. Thanks for calling San Francisco out at the top there, knowing that I'm from there and that I don't know anything about this. Appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. I love it. Okay, so tell me about before we did this interview, like uh, you know, a few days ago, we were chatting back and forth about what how we wanted to talk about your work and spread the message on creating community for good. You mentioned that you work with Neon and Tim Sorrentino. So shout out to him. He's an awesome friend and partner. I'm curious to hear how you partner with Neon and others that are in the space of crowdsourced fundraising or even Classy. I'm curious about Classy. Is that a competitor or a partner or how do you see yourself in the landscape? Yeah. So we hope to, to partner with everybody. We're, we're fortunate cool. and unfortunate in the sense for the time being. Like for now, we're the only company that has like a feasible option for, for nonprofits to fundraise crypto effectively. So as a result of that, we want to plug that into to everything and just make it really easy for charities to not only take cryptocurrency donations, but to then, like Alex said, the integrations on exchanges and partnerships like Gemini get in front of crypto donors. But then ultimately, as those gifts come through, nonprofits have a million different licenses with a million different software providers. It's super fragmented market. I think everyone's aware of that. So we'd like to have crypto offerings built into that. This is actually the first podcast where we're talking about it. Um, we're doing a 2021 rollout with Neon. So it's an exciting announcement for us. 
but it's the first nonprofit. Thank you very much. First nonprofit CRM that has a direct integration for cryptocurrency gifts. So every other charity for the time being is like manually using CSV reports and uploading information and, and trying to find kind of janky ways to tag it as crypto because it's not built in. So Neon's on the, right. the, kind of the, the CRM standpoint. Very cool. And I think I shared with you and I want to just do a plug to Mike Farb, the CEO of Neon, and he and I are co-executive committee members for build.org. Shout out to build.org. Talk about them like every other episode. <laughs> That's very cool that they're on that cutting edge. How about, so it sounds like you want to partner with as many platforms as you can. And so we'll just share that again. So for, our, for anybody who's listening, my Bloomerang friends, my Classy friends, many others, sounds like this is a great opportunity to connect. So going back to the heart of it, why are you so inspired to do the work you do beyond, it sounds like you're intellectually curious. I can get that from what you've shared already, but what is your sense of how to create a sense of community? What does community mean to you? This podcast is really about innovation and you know ideas that are for good. And for our community, I'm obviously passionate about the space of philanthropy, but I'd like to just hear from each of you, Alex and Pat, like what does community mean to you and how does this attempt to forge a better connection with the rest of the society? So it goes a little bit back to when we first started the company, you know, there wasn't really much charitable giving in crypto. So of course, you know, part of the inspiration for starting the company was just to start that that culture, right? Start making it a community effort of of giving back and ingraining that in in sort of the crypto community. And as a part of that, we were both really excited about crypto, both really excited about nonprofits and kind of brought those two worlds together. Because crypto in general, we see as something that's improving the lives of people everywhere, right? It's it's really sort of this great equalizer that can really level the playing field for a lot of people. So that's what really got us excited about cryptocurrency in the first place. It was almost like the the human rights benefits of, of cryptocurrencies. And then, of course, because we're so excited about crypto, we've got to make sure that nonprofits are kind of staying ahead of the curve or staying with the, the future of what we think is going to be the future of money, right? Yeah. So we wanted to help them start accepting Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency donations. And kind of as a side effect of that, we noticed too that by getting nonprofits involved, we're broadly helping crypto adoption too. We're bringing more people into this ecosystem. We're actually building a, right. not just a community of giving, but we're actually expanding the community too in the process. So I feel like I just threw a lot of different things together. So hopefully that made sense. Yeah, I know. I hear what you're saying. It, it's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of, it's a very big web that you're working on. And that's why it's exciting. And that's why it's working. What about you, Pat? How do you see community and how this is impacting community? Yeah, well, Alex, Alex took my answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we, we spent a lot of time talking about this, but Alex kind of nailed it. A similar message, but there's two communities that we have, and we're trying to bring them together kind of into one. So we've got nonprofits, then we've got crypto users. He touched on both. Crypto had a, a bad rap when we started looking into it. People thought it was like, you know, they compared it to tulips and it's a bubble and no one understood the tech and why, you know, it can never be printed and the the blockchain record and people started getting into it. So we were part of this kind of little club of people who looked at a form of money. We were like, oh, eventually if it was adopted, you could have, uh, you know, a, a fully auditable government. Imagine if cryptocurrency was used to pay taxes and you could see them moving money between departments and you could audit the representatives yeah. you're voting for. You think about people yeah. who are political activists in, in China or other countries where their their voices are taken away and so are their bank accounts, like having an international currency that 
your country can't take away from you or Venezuela hyperinflated mm. into, you know, non-existence. Your savings kind of evaporate overnight. Like there, there's a lot of things about crypto that I think are powerful and would resonate with the nonprofit community. And then on the nonprofit side, I've always been nonprofit should be run like a business kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And that's a big yeah. area of conflict. But I think crypto is a big opportunity. No one, again, is going to buy a cup of coffee with cryptocurrency for the time being. Same reason you don't do it with stocks. But it's hilariously over incentivized to donate cryptocurrency to a nonprofit over using a credit card. So mm. there's no reason the nonprofit sector couldn't literally lead the adoption of cryptocurrency, which would be a windfall of revenue for charitable organizations and kind of move them ahead in an industry where they're usually, you know, lagging hopelessly behind. So I feel like in both sides, mm. there's, there's a meaningful reason for them to come together. Yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious to see as you've explained it. So yeah, I, I'm stoked about it. So let's talk about the two beneficiaries, about individuals who can benefit from giving philanthropy for tax reasons and using crypto over cash and or stock. And then you've got the nonprofits. So what are the next steps or the actionables that somebody who's listening to this podcast could take? Um, a lot of the folks on my listenership are everyday people, may or may not be involved in philanthropy. And then others are you know, executive directors or fundraisers, frontline fundraisers, board members. How can we speak to that audience in terms of getting them a little bit more acquainted and taking a first step to engage with crypto and philanthropy? Yeah, I think for the sort of the nonprofit audience, you know, the first thing is just to start to kind of dip your toes in and start learning about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency a little bit. Take a look at some of the other nonprofits that are accepting cryptocurrency. Look at how they've been set up. See what lessons you can learn from how they've done it. If you really want to dive into it, you know, we've written plenty of blog posts and articles and things like that. We even have a monthly webinar that's free to attend that people can come and just learn the basics. But, you know, the the first step is really just starting to, to learn about it because so many people, I think, tend to hear the word Bitcoin or cryptocurrency and just kind of block it out, right? They don't want to like dive into it because they assume it's too complicated or too confusing, but it's really not as complicated as as people think it is, I think. And people shouldn't get too caught up in, you know, going into the weeds of the technical piece of how it works or how mining works or something like that, right? Like focus more on the big picture and the benefits of how it's going to help your your organization, in this case, raise more money and not to get too kind of bogged down in the, the technical side of it. And then on the flip side, of course, for the donors... It's just learning more about sort of the tax benefits, donating crypto, how they could be contributing even more money by using crypto. In a lot of cases for donors in the U.S., it could be, you know, a difference of 30% if they're able to donate crypto directly. So Hmm. they should check the causes they love to support. If that cause doesn't already support crypto, you know, shoot them a note, encourage them, tell them you would be a crypto donor if they accepted it. I and mean, hopefully that means you'll be able to donate more and and also get a higher tax write-off. So uh, yeah. wins all around. How about just like hearkening back to the social media element and the generation? What about Clubhouse? Thoughts on Clubhouse? Are you guys on it? That's so funny. We just started looking at it last night. Okay. So we're like a little behind on it. You have to... Uh, I'm ahead of you just so you know. Okay. Right. So I can have like a little moment. <laughs> I'm very proud of you. Who's on Clubhouse? We're very proud of you as well. It's very cut again. <laughs> um, I mean that though. It, it's you good in general. Oh. Looking at platforms as they pop up, it's going to be more viral platforms and viral opportunities to fundraise in general. If you can jump on trends and you can leverage them, one, you'll grow your social faster, of course. But two, you'll be able yeah. to you know tap into that stuff and 
fundraising is going to happen more in bursts. You know, I think like the average awareness month or gala is not going to be what it used to be. Uh, on Clubhouse yeah. in particular, there's a handful of clubs that exist. I know just from looking at it for nonprofits and fundraisers in general, you can just go on. If you know anyone who's on the Clubhouse, they have to invite you. Otherwise, you're on a waiting list. You're kind of boxed out. Uh, and then the last piece is you can actually apply to make a club on Clubhouse. If you have like a unique idea and you're listening to this, it would be a cool mm-hmm. thing to send it into Clubhouse. I think they've like one person working there who's reviewing the 150,000 applications I'm sure they have, but yeah. who knows, maybe they'll accept it and you'll have a, a cool space a month, two months from now to bring people together and grow your audience. So do you see it as a place that uh, you think is going to be common, as common as Twitter for the next generation? I think it could go away in a week. I, I don't know enough about it. I'm just looking at it. I see there's yeah. a lot of people on there now. And if you can get in and engage with people, I think it's awesome. But I have 35 minutes of experience with it from last night. And like, again, my only recommendation <laughs> would be you can apply to make a club. And if you get one, the ones that exist yeah. for nonprofits already, some have like 6,000 followers. So you can get a bunch of people in a room and tell them something. It would be cool if you get it. Other than that, um, it's definitely worth just like everything else taking a look at, I would say. Maybe we should uh, jump on there at some point and talk about cryptocurrencies and philanthropy. So that'd be really interesting. We should absolutely do that. So what gives you hope? What's sort of like on the horizon that excites you? I guess a lot of things. I mean, crypto is is really <laughs> kind of blowing up right now. And we think this is going to be a huge year, definitely a record year for crypto donations. And we hope that, you know, by the end of this year, we're going to be working with hundreds of nonprofits and bringing in really meaningful revenue for them. I mean, some of these nonprofits have the opportunity to really make up or or offset a lot of the revenue they might be losing from, let's say, a canceled physical event because of COVID or, or other ways they lost funding maybe last year. Um, we're seeing this as sort of an, an equalizer for a lot of nonprofits to make up for that lost revenue, in some cases, even increase it. Nice. And in the process, you know, bring more donors into the community. One of the biggest reasons why nonprofits are struggling to raise money every year is because they lose a lot of their donor base. So just as much as they bring in 40% new donors, they lose 40, like 39% of their donors and on average, which is definitely not for every nonprofit. But statistically, one of the major errors in nonprofit management is stewardship. So I'm really curious to consider how Bitcoin can be you know, long-term thing and not just a flash in the pan in terms of philanthropy. And I know that you're going to be dedicated to driving that bus forward. So, you know, I'm behind you and I want to champion what you're doing. I think it's really cool. I also just want to explore in this moment, what can we do to preserve longevity? I do think that with millennials and Gen Z, the issue is that they're not always coming back to a nonprofit. So they might get excited about an event or an They're giving because a friend has encouraged them to give. They're giving one time because there's something that's interesting. Maybe they have a life experience, but then it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be long-term major donors. That's something that we've seen historically, but it doesn't have to be like that. So how do you think that cryptocurrency can like combat that trend and redirect the bus? I guess there's two different things going on and charities usually only do one or the other well, sometimes neither, but there's donor acquisition, right? And then there's donor retention and stewardship. In terms of donor acquisition, cryptocurrency is like almost made in a lab perfect for donor acquisition. It's like a form of money that people, it's a property asset with all the tax incentives, but it's actively traded by a much higher percentage of the people who hold it, 
you know, stocks sit in 401ks and Roth IRAs. There's very few actual traders, but like everyone who has crypto like moves into and out of positions for the most part. So they actually have a tax incentive to pull the trigger on. It's a form of money where if you take it, there's only really actually fundraising, maybe a few hundred charities in the world that are even trying to get in front of these people. There's one and a half trillion dollars in it. And even when you post it on social, people get fired up and they follow it not only as a, a mode of payment, but it's literally a donor demographic. So I think that's awesome mm-hmm. if you're trying to get these people. Oh, also, lastly, they're young. So the odds of them having some deeply held allegiance to an existing charity that a payment method wouldn't help them break is lower. So like everything lines up perfectly. It's an amazing donor acquisition tool. Then in terms of retention on crypto, I think it's similar to everything else with younger donors. It's going to start kind of with the methods that they find you versus the messaging and plucking them off social. Nonprofits still fundraise kind of the general way. They run that one big campaign. You'll see a flash in the pan or pan like the ALS ice bucket challenge. Everyone gives all at once, but there's no real like uh, connection to it. I think a big mm-hmm. way to circumvent it is going to be going to where they they have their money versus trying to get them to resonate with it. They're going to start making decisions out of convenience. I think like they do everything else, and if they're you know mm-hmm. they have a Robinhood account, they have a cryptocurrency account like the ones they have with us. The tax incentive is there, and while they're in an app they're using anyway, they can hit that transfer button. I think a lot more donation volume is going to exist there. And if you're in that app and other folks aren't, uh, it's going to be way harder for a nonprofit on Facebook to pull that donor away from a system that's highly convenient and already exists for them. Yeah, I love that point. Yeah, very well said. What gives you hope, Pat? What's like on your horizon? Hope for charities doing well? Or do you mean hope for the world? Or What's exciting you? I mean, yeah, what's something that keeps you kind of positive during this time of change and pandemic and crisis? Sounds like you're both pretty jazzed about the work you do, which I love, and I'm excited about it. But is there anything yeah. in particular that's kind of like on the horizon for you that you're seeing as a goal and exciting? I'm trying to think of of something that's not like strictly work sounding because so much of our life is wrapped up in it. I, I guess, yeah, the, the one thing that's exciting, it's still kind of work related, but not exactly what we do. Like I'm liking seeing the impact that the work we do has on the charities who are involved with us. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but every charity we work with, we end up working on a lot more than setting them up to take crypto. There's like a million different digital yeah. strategies associated. They're forming partnerships with crypto companies. We're doing like esports tournaments. We have fundraisers from different oh. charities like Diane at No Kid Hungry joining like poker tournaments that are online and playing with crypto users. Like we're seeing all these really intricate fundraising uh, strategies coming together and like these development departments getting a lot more tech savvy and sophisticated and their sites are getting better. Their fundraising is getting more fun and exciting. It's cool to kind of see the ripple effect. Like when charities get into crypto, they seem to get uh, a little bit better at uh, just about everything. Cool. I love that. Well, I'm just so delighted that we met. I'm happy to know what you're doing and I will be a big fan of yours. I'm happy to share the word. What's the best way for me to support you and for anybody who's listening? Where should we go? Uh, I guess the website's always a good start givingblock.com. And then in terms of social media, you know, we're probably most active on Twitter, probably not so surprising. And our handle <laughs> is at the giving block. So follow us on Twitter, you know, subscribe to our newsletter, we'll send out, you know, weekly updates for all things related to nonprofits and crypto. Awesome. Um, and I want to invite you to March 25th, build.org is having a very big virtual event. And I'd love to see how you and Bill could connect. Uh, There's a $10 million campaign to really break through education to 
create innovation and entrepreneurship for high school students. And I feel like this is all the same ilk. So I'll follow up with you offline about that. But I do want to just shout it to the world as well that there's a big event that I want everybody to show up to on March 25th with Build. But Pat and Alex, thank you so much for your time and your insights. I've certainly learned something new and I'm hoping that the audience is going to get activated in crypto philanthropy as well. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Lindsay. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. If you like what you heard, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn or write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic or you'd like to be a guest, let's connect. Go to www.creatingcommunityforgood.com. In there, you will see all of the podcast episodes with beautifully written show notes and hyperlinks to everything that we've discussed. Thank you and shine on. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.